0: to the new episode of entertainment geekly your guide to all things sci-fi fantasy and awesome i'm darren franich and with me as always on the telephone from his moon base entertainment weekly's jeff jensen you
1: know i'm not always here i mean Like, I'm not all, I mean, there there have been some weeks where you've done this without me.
0: True, but I sort of picture you in a mobile uh, command center, perhaps some sort of elaborate suit of armor. So I, I, I sort of feel like you're always in that command center, even if it's going from your moon base to Gensonia to Atlantis to the bottom of the ocean. You know, technically you're always in the same place.
1: And sometimes I'm in such far away, you know, ethereal realms that you can't reach me, and so you have to bring in Keith or Adam or
0: something. Exactly. Although even then, I sort of assume that you're speaking through them in a way, you know, sort of using them as a ventriloquist. Oh. Definitely. Yes, yes.
1: Very, very, very cool. I do, I do have those powers. I forgot. They are but my puppets.
0: They they are aren't aren't we all Jeff aren't we all uh, listeners We're we're getting heavy here and we're still in the first minute of the program We're so excited about today's plan We're gonna go through all of the geekiest films in the fall movie season uh, We did this before with with the summer movie season Boy wasn't that fun Now we're doing it again uh, We're just gonna you know talk about them a little bit and describe if we're excited about them If we're kind of neutral about them or if we're not excited about them or if we're excited to not be excited. A lot of variations here, Jeff. I'm, I'm excited though. This is going to be an interesting season for movies. I I think. Uh, Certainly, just you know, looking at the list now is a lot of stuff that could potentially be interesting. Um, But uh, what do you say we just, we just dive right in? Sounds good. First off, uh, September fourteenth, a movie that is not necessarily maybe in our bailiwick, It's it, it's not quite a genre film, but it has a lot to do with the genre. Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, The Master, is of course somewhat loosely based on the life and career and uh, intriguing decisions made by the science fiction author L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, I I think this is probably the movie that I'm most excited about for for the fall. Uh, I, What what are your thoughts about this one, Jeff?
1: Uh, Definitely, if you're a serious film geek, it seems to be that this is uh, the cultural movie event uh, of the fall. Uh, Can't wait. All of the trailers, all the little bits that we've gotten so far, um, just seem uh, to... to, to All the buzz on it, all the intrigue around whether or not... um, Paul Thomas Anderson is going to be able to even show it on, this, on, 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 on the intended screens he wants, because he shot it in seven, 70 millimeter, and he wants to show it in theaters that can actually accommodate 70mm, and there are not many of those. So um, uh, everything about this, uh, it sounds great. And, and just uh, even if you're not a Paul Thomas Anderson geek, but you're like an acting geek, like the, the trailers suggest... That Joaquin Phoenix and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman are just going to give like uh, amazing performances.
0: It's, I'm excited for Joaquin Phoenix to come back now. You know, it, it's funny, uh, there was that whole time period when he was kind of doing his performance art sub Sacha Baron Cohen movie, and I, I watching the trailers for this movie, I, I'm kind of reminded of what an awesome presence he really is. I mean, I'm, I'm hard pressed to remember the last time I saw him in, in, in a movie now, but I feel like his return is maybe one of the more interesting sort of subtext of this movie. One, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, though, Jeff, is in all this kind of run-up to the master and all of this sort of theorizing about to what extent is it based on L. Ron Hubbard, to what extent is it maybe about Scientology, uh, I, I, I realize that I've actually never read anything by L. Ron Hubbard. Like, did, did you ever read any of his, his earlier pulp stuff or, or Battlefield Earth? I mean, was that actually ever popular outside of the realm of people who are Scientologists?
1: Uh, I have no clue. I, no, I, I have not read anything um that 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 he's ever done no um (laughs) but he he seems to be a fascinating figure that we should devote a whole podcast to i mean i think we probably have a lot of fun with that actually
0: absolutely well that would also give us the opportunity to talk about the film version of battlefield earth which uh, is still probably one of the worst movies ever made or at least certainly one of the most tilted movies ever made That, that that's a movie where they just kind of put the camera on stilts and let down one and you know, smeared it all with, with green disgustingness. All right. The one,
1: the one thing I'm worried about the Master, though, is that, I mean, I think that the, the word that's starting to get out about the Master is that it's really not about Scientology. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, my guess is, if we can pre-review a movie that we haven't seen,
0: pre-review um, Jeff Jensen using his magical powers of pre-reviewing. Now, everybody,
1: right? Which is that you know he's taken the historical figure of Elron Hubbard and turned it into a fi- turn created his own fiction, which is supposed to stand in for probably any number of. Of things, uh, Anyone or any sort of institution that offers to give you kind of some kind of meaning or some kind of big perspective on who we are and where we come from and what we're supposed to be, you know, um, religion, philosophy, whether it be, you know, somewhat legitimate or crackpot. You know, it seems to me that like based on what I can glean from uh, from 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 the press about the movie and the, and the trailers about it, it that 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 the Philip Seymour Hoffman character stands for something bigger than just L. Ron Hubbard. So that I just worry then that the conversation about the movie will just completely be swallowed up and any sort of provocative point he might have about about that in general will be lost amid the uh, the searching for L. Ron Hubbard within The Master. You know what I
0: mean? Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of how when The Social Network came out, uh, you know, as praised as that movie was, I remember a lot of people sort of saying like, that is not really a movie about Facebook, you know? I mean, it's about the sort of formation of Facebook, but it's not a movie that is particularly tapped into, you know, the world that created. It sort of takes the creation of Facebook and, you know, almost makes more of a portrait of American business or of... uh, you know, the way these people sort of interacted. And it kind of seems like that is maybe going to be the issue with the master also. I mean, there's this sort of accoutrement of Scientology around it, but it's really more about how it takes that really fascinating story and maybe makes it more universal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm so glad that uh, we just talked about the master because the next movie on our list, Jeff, I think very similar, equally thematically ambitious, um, Jeff, Resident Evil, colon, Retribution is, I learned yesterday, the fifth Resident Evil movie in the franchise, um... I uh, I have to admit that uh, until recently I hadn't watched any other Resident Evil movies besides the first one, but uh, just sort of because I, I I happened to be on the Comic Con in the Comic Con audience when this new film was being shown off, I've decided to kind of go back and watch the earlier films in the franchise, and I gotta say these movies are not good, Jeff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Um... I, I can't be too harsh on, on this franchise, because um, e- even if they do make bad movies, and, because I just haven't seen any of them, and, and it's just not for me. Um, I, I wish that I could say that I was the kind of geek who, for the sake of being a completist, or for for even you know to be qualified to to do the job that I'm apparently supposed to be doing here at Entertainment Weekly, I should probably see these movies. But I, you know, they 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 still don't pay me enough.
0: It, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I would actually I, I want to talk about this a little bit more in a in a future program. But the one interesting thing about the Resident Evil franchise is that to a certain extent, it's kind of a mom-and-pop franchise. You know, uh, Mila Jovovich has been married to director-producer Paul W.S. Anderson, I believe since before the first movie was made. And, you know, every few years, they sort of, you know, get a, a league of shady foreign financiers together to make a new one of these movies, and they're always weirdly big and yet small at the same time and have lots of special effects, but seem to have been shot on, you know, some set with barely even enough money for three walls somewhere in a former Eastern Europe European country. There's a certain uh, stick-to-itiveness that I admire about these movies. In theory, even if in actuality, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that I, I feel very excited about this one.
1: <laughs> right. But, you know, it's funny you should. You know, kind of walk us through the backstory behind this franchise because that's actually a, a pretty compelling, fun story. I mean, if um, as as a journalist, and I would be really interested in maybe telling that story. The more that um, these folks like make these movies, the more sort of endearing it kind of becomes like it's become this sort of passion project family project um, and in crazy world it does have a following I don't want to like be harsh on the whole thing but, Oh
0: no I, I mean but,
1: but, the... but for you and I it's definitely just it's just it just. Uh, and, and, and you're a video game guy. I mean, this is based on a video game franchise, but it's just its just not where we live.
0: Nope. Uh, well, it, it, it's funny also because at, at, at this point, the movie franchise has gone very far afield. Uh, I, I don't recall any Mila Jovovich clones wandering around in the video game franchise when I was playing it as a child. Um Moving right along to September 21st, Jeff, Dread 3D, a movie that I've actually seen, uh, but before I, I sort of offer my little mini-take on it, uh, are, you, are you intrigued by this? This is, of course, the reboot of Judge Dread, uh, very different from the Sylvester Stallone movie, much closer in spirit to the Judge Dread comic books.
1: Um, I was not terribly interested um, in this movie until Comic-Con, um, when, uh, when and where they, they, they screened the movie there, and, and it got a, a lot of positive feedback. And about that time, concurrently, for some reason, I got just tempted or interested in reading um, some of the Judge Dredd comics, especially the ones drawn by Brian Bolland and Arthur Ranson and I kind of got into them. So the the buzz on, on the movie out of Comic-Con my sort of, like, new fandom for the character, combined with some trailers, which I think that actually look kind of like sci-fi action movie cool, um, I definitely want to see this movie.
0: Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I don't want to talk out of, out of turn here. I, I got a chance to see it at a preview screening with uh, our British colleague, Clark Collis, who had kind of been giving me the down low on the original Judge Dredd comics before watching it. And all that I'll say is that, you know, it's a movie that I think proves that... Uh, you know, a, a very basic action movie concept which goes, you know, goes back to Die Hard. This idea of they're inside of this building and the whole movie more or less takes there, uh, t- takes place there. Very kind of immediately compelling, you know? I mean, it's already kind of earned some comparisons to the Raid Redemption which came out earlier this year. I, I don't know if it's, if it's quite as awesome as the Raid was, but I, I definitely had a blast at it. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how people react to it. It's also just, I realized watching it, I really like Carl Urban quite a bit. Yeah. There's a guy who's just been sort of a- always perpetually lurking over the shoulder of somebody else in some of the biggest movies made in the last ten years. I mean, he was in the second Lord second and third Lord of the Rings movies. He was McCoy in Star Trek. He was in Ghost Ship, which is sort of an underrated, but maybe exactly rated horror movie. I, it's, it's nice to see him get a role like this, even though it's a role where his face is literally covered the entire movie. (laughs) And that makes
1: makes me like him even more, that he is, that, you know, if you're an actor and you're going to sign up for this take on this material, and part of it is, we're going to do it the way the comics do it, you know, your face is going to be obscured. And for an actor like Carl Urban, who kind of like probably has like ambitions to be a little bit more well-known, and, uh, and, and, and and that could lead to even more opportunities for him, that's kind of a risky thing. Like, how can you make a, a character, a compelling character, when you're going to spend your entire screen time, largely, like, obscured by this mask? Um and, uh, you know, it's a, a risky career move. It's a risky acting challenge. And it looks like he's kind of rocking it from what I've seen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my hope for this movie is that it comes out and Carl Urban's chin becomes the biggest star in, in Hollywood. <laughs> um, moving right along to September 28th, Jeff, Hotel Transylvania, voice of Adam Sandler playing Dracula or playing a vampire. Will the Jensen children be going to see this movie? They will not. Will will anyone in the extended Jensen clan be going to see this movie?
1: Not that I know of.
0: Let's move right along to the other movie being released that day, Jeff. Looper, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt as young Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis as old Bruce Willis. Uh, We've talked about this movie before. I'm very excited about it. Some of our colleagues have seen it. I feel like, you know, I I love the people involved. Rian Johnson made Brick, which is just a fantastic movie. And I love the the sort of time travel element of this just seems really brain-teasy and cerebral in a way that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the
1: Jensen children will be going to see this movie. Um, <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm I'm just kidding. I um, uh, sign me up. Totally. I mean, I, I love the premise. Uh, the the year of Joseph Gordon Levitt continues, and what might be a lot of people are saying, maybe even Joseph Gordon Levitt himself saying is his best movie of the year. Um, I, I love the role that Bruce Willis has sort of given himself in this movie. I, I like it. It's probably. I, I think that people. That there's some. Um, unfair buzz expectation around this movie now that it's going to probably be, like, to to be bigger than I think what it really uh, is going to be. Like, words are failing me right now, which is... But regardless, you and I, like, yeah, on board.
0: Yeah, this this movie is a love letter written straight to people like us. So, in short, September, excited about The Master and Looper, uh, very intrigued by Dread 3D, and uh, not going to go see Hotel Transylvania. Moving right along to October... Uh, Jeff, October fifth, Frankenweenie. This is Tim Burton kind of revisiting a film that he made when he was a youth and turning it into a, I believe, a, a, a claymation black and white kids film. What about this one? Is is this one that you'll take the kids to see or one that you're excited about?
1: Yeah, I'm actually. I, I, I don't usually go for this genre of stuff, but. Um... This does appeal to me. I've seen the trailer now enough this summer. They've really um, hammered this movie into our brains uh, <laughs> to the point where now I kind of laugh at it despite myself or just like, yeah, it feels very familiar. And, and I don't know. I, it, it's definitely on my radar. My kids had a w- strange reaction to this. Um, I When they saw the trailer, they... They more They were more frightened of it than, than amused by it, which which made them want to see it even more to be honest with you, so um, I just saw you know just something kind of fun and light and, and uh, but in a Tim Burton way but but my kids were actually kind of like on this really fine line of being sort of like laughing at it slash spooked by it. Um, Yeah,
0: yeah. you know, there's something about this. I'm going to go on the record as saying that I haven't really liked uh, really the last few projects that Tim Burton has worked on. I I always sort of find that, you know, the trailer comes out and I'm excited for it and the look is very interesting and then just in the end it feels a little bit bit thrown together. Something about this movie and the whole idea of making a kind of very adorable and yet at the same time very grotesque kids movie that almost feels like uh, in a way a strange return to form for burton you know i sort of feel yeah. like when you go back to to the edward scissorhands and ed wood something about him that made him very distinctive was th- was this interesting combination of very outre horror aesthetic with an, an almost Uh, adorable is the wrong word, but very warm, very sort of almost all-American and chirpy in a way. And this feels like more along those lines than anything he's worked on in a very long time.
1: I'm all for adorably outre.
0: Adorably outre is our watchword here. Jeff, also released on October 5th, Taken 2, Liam Neeson, killing a lot more people than last time. Uh, Are you excited? A little bit excited? Not excited at all? Or didn't even see the first Taken?
1: Uh, it will take a lot for me to be taken to, taken to, um, is that funny what I just did there? That was,
0: that was funny, Jeff.
1: I I, I wrote that line. I
0: I hope they put that on the poster for, for taken to just, uh, uh, and then, and then have Liam Neeson, you know, punch the poster or something like that. That wasn't, that wasn't funny because I didn't write that down.
1: Right, right. Uh, No, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, like, Taken was a very, what was an entertaining action movie, and it didn't leave me wanting more. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like like the hour and a half of Taken satisfied, for me, the total entertainment potential of the Taken franchise, and, uh, and I don't need any more.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd I'd have to say that I agree. Uh, Taken almost seems to me like something that was very accidentally wonderful, um, and uh, I I think that maybe I, I we, we've seen a little bit too much of Liam Neeson as you know angry uh, neo Charles Bronson at, at this point. I, I think I'm going to have to pass. Um, but, uh, October 12th, Jeff, uh, we have the release of Argo again, not quite a genre movie, but certainly something that, uh, p- plays in very pivotally to genre conventions. This is of course, Ben Affleck's true life film about, and I may be mistaking the history here because it's from before I was born and who cares about that time period, but this is when there were the hostages in Iran, Ben Affleck plays a CIA agent who gets some of, the hostages out, using this sort of elaborate scheme to create a fake Hollywood science fiction movie. Is is is, is that basically correct, Jeff?
1: That's roughly correct. Yes. Um, and 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 the part of the story that really intrigues me, and you know, the, the movie uh, was based on a magazine article in Wired that kind of brought all of this to light. Um, and you should go online and find it. It's a great, riveting story, but. Um, Part of, like, you know, the story that really interests me the most is that the fake Hollywood movie um, is actually based on a failed attempt to create a movie based on the science fiction classic Lord of Light, I believe. Um, really? Uh, in the 70s by Roger Zelaney, right? Is that the author's name? Roger
0: yeah, Roger, Roger, Zelazny or uh, Roger well, I, yeah. I, I,
1: like I, I'm not familiar with, with his work terribly, but... <laughs> um, but There was an attempt in the 70s to turn, to adapt that book into a big science fiction film, and I believe the lore goes that um, whoever was developing the material, material reached out to Jack Kirby. Comic book legend who did some concept work, design work for, 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 for that, for the movie. And they even had plans to create an elaborate theme park inspired by the larger world of this movie called Science Fiction Land that was supposed to be built in Aurora, Colorado. Um, Whoa. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, so all of this material was developed and created. I believe there's a screenplay, there's the production art, and if you go online, you can e- you even find a lot of this stuff. But the movie ultimately wasn't made. And um, I believe in the backstory of Argo is that the sort of the, the CIA officers and, and, and the people that were involved in this attempt to rescue these uh, this sort of like subgroup of hostages that were being held in Iran, kind of like as uh, to to sort of bring their their cover story to life. They sought out, I believe, the producer of that failed movie and definitely made use of all of this production art to sort of sell their fiction to the Iranians. So um, I, I love that backstory part of it all.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's incredible. I almost hope that there's some spin off from Argo where it, they just actually film this movie because that sounds even more interesting than, uh, than, than this movie does.
1: But it's supposed to be, I mean, from what I've heard from people who've seen it, and again, I haven't seen it, but I've heard that it's a, really strong piece of work.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I think Ben Affleck, tremendous director. Uh, I do find myself wishing that he would stop casting Ben Affleck, the actor, but uh, regardless, I I think it's it's clear this is going to be a very entertaining movie. Anything with with Brian Cranston in it, I think we're all mandated to see at this point, Jeff. Um, Now, the following week, uh, if it's close to Halloween, it must be time for a new Paranormal Activity movie. Jeff, Paranormal Activity 4, I believe the conceit now is that it's going to be all like internet video and Skype or or something like that. Uh, I I have to say, I sort of admire the fact that with each... Uh, episode of Paranormal Activity, they've slightly kind of tweaked how exactly the filming happens. The first one, of course, was just a, a pretty basic, you know, guy filming himself set up. The second one had the security camera thing. The third one, I believe, was sort of period 1980s videotape. This one is using the internet. Uh, I, I, I'm impressed by the fact that they haven't necessarily dumbed this franchise down in that respect. Uh, I don't think I ever want to see another Paranormal Activity movie for as long as I live, though.
1: Darren, I I will be seeing this movie um, on October 9. Um, I will be going to the movie theater, and I will be buying a ticket, and I will be uh, sitting in a seat only because I want to make sure that I am still in that seat one week later... When Paranormal Activity 4 is replaced by the movie that comes out October 26, Cloud Atlas.
0: Cloud Atlas. This is, I I don't even know how to describe my excitement for this movie, Jeff. Did did you read the David Mitchell uh, book that it's based on?
1: I read a lot of it. I, it's one of uh, several books that is currently on my bedside that I'm sort of like table that I'm working my way through, uh, loving it. But I, I know you've been dazzled by the materials that are online, and I think we're both hoping for a a, a glorious return to form uh, by the Wachowski brothers and. Uh, and Tom
0: Twyker, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tom, Tom Tyker, or uh, Tickver, I'm not sure quite how, how you pronounce his name. I think in a lot of respects in this country, he's still best known for Run, Lola, Run, um, although he has done a lot of uh, other work in, in the last 10 years. I think his other big movie was The International, which, if you recall, was the Clive Owen movie that everyone said had the great Guggenheim scene and otherwise wasn't really that great. Cloud Atlas, uh, for listeners who, who don't know the backstory on this, the book by David Mitchell, Is this really interesting, um, you know, sort of multi storyline book? each story is written in a very specific tone and in a very different time and place there's one part that is set in the this, this sort of moby dick uh, mid 18th century seafaring adventure there are there is a futuristic storyline uh, there's a sort of noir storyline it's very interesting it's very sort of indescribable it's hard to believe they made this into a movie but somehow they did and even just you know in in the preview materials it it looks like, I, I love that they've sort of run with this whole idea of these different stories linking together. I mean, uh, we ran a few pictures of Tom Hanks in the movie, and Tom Hanks is playing different characters in each sequence, and in one he sort of looks like, you know, 80s-era George Michael with a weird kind of gangster haircut, and in one he's sort of playing a caveman. It looks crazy, Jeff, and I, I, I'm, I'm just so excited by the ambition behind it. Uh, I think it's rare to see a movie that clearly was this expensive and that had this much love go into it actually sort of be produced on this scale.
1: Right. Um, it reminds me a little bit of The Fountain in that regard, uh, this sort of, like, big-budget, studio-backed, um, like, arty, sci-fi, fantasy, trippy, uh, uh, you know, uh, artistic... Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we need
0: to have a podcast that's just devoted to that specific subgenre, Jeff. Right,
1: uh, like uh, Solaris, Steven (laughs) Soderbergh's uh, remake of Solaris, uh, (laughs) The Fountain, and and, and this. I'm sure we'll hit it exactly on October 26th. Uh, By the way, um, just just a couple clarifications, apologies, and non-apologies. Which is, of course, the Wachowski brothers not really brothers anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, if you know anything about that, so no disrespect meant to to them when I still called them brothers. However. Will not apologize for mangling last names on this on this podcast because you know I'm a writer. I spell your name correctly. I am not obligated to say your name correct.
0: Abs- absolutely right, Jeff. Don't don't take no guff from that tickver tickwer guy. Right. Um, but uh, you know, Jeff, one thing that I did want to run by you: there's this interesting, um, slowly burgeoning cult that that lives online that has been saying that Speed Racer is actually a good movie. I never actually saw Speed Racer because I thought it looked like candy vomit. But did you see the movie, and what did you think of it?
1: So let me tell you my Speed Racer story, um, and thank you for setting me up for that. Unintentionally, by the way, this was was not a bit that was worked out, but I was really looking forward to uh, Speed Racer, and I really thought, and I bought into the hype, that it was a family film that um, I could bring my kids to. And so we went to Speed Racer on this huge IMAX screen um, in, in here in Los Angeles, and I brought my kids. And we are going to make a whole night out of it. We hadn't really done anything like this, this a couple years ago, and my kids are still pretty young. So me and the kids, we're going to go out to dinner, we're going to have a good time, and we're going to go see Speed Racer, and we're going to geek out. And we're about an hour into the film, and my son turns to me and says, Daddy, I, I just don't think this film is right for me. I would like to leave. <laughs> it was right about the time in the movie where um, I believe the bad guys threaten uh, someone that they've abducted uh, to spill some information by um, demonstrating to him that unless he cooperates, they were going to like dunk his head or his hand into a giant aquarium filled with piranhas. <laughs> demonstrated to us by throwing a piece of meat in, in, in whatever and this really frightened the heck out of my kids and then I think uh, Matthew Fox's Racer X shows up and kicks him butt and, and, and saves the guy but um, you know the movie I, I think probably deserves revisiting because it is it is a Wachowski Brothers movie it is a they, they take the movie and they turn it into this sort of elaborate metaphor for any number of provocative themes about culture and about, about economics, and um, uh, there's a really nervy, provocative political subtext to it all. Um, and it's, it looks cosmetically like a movie for kids, per se, but it's really not. And it's so visually inventive, but ultimately, like, really intense, maybe too intense in ways that they weren't anticipating. Um, I, I think it, it's a movie that, 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 that Warner Brothers thought could be sort of like a big all-ages uh, a, a, a summertime blockbuster but ultimately like, confused the audience as to who it was really for. So it felt like it was for no one. But um, I think that it could be re- revisited and just assessed on its own freaky terms.
0: Well, and it seems like first and foremost, from what I understand about it, I think the Wachowskis viewed it as a very interesting aesthetic exercise. I mean, they really wanted to k- translate uh, what the original Speed Racer cartoons felt like into some sort of film form. Right. For, for, for me, that kind of falls into, if I can try to create my own elaborate subgenre here, Jeff, like the the movie based on a childhood property that the directors simultaneously try to update, but at the same time completely capture what it felt like to experience it first. And the only other movie that I can really think of that's like this is actually Warren Beatty's Dick Tracy, which is an is such a fascinating visual movie this is a movie where he literally just wanted to shoot it in the colors that would have been used in the original Dick Tracy comic strips and it has this weird like artificiality to it and you know when you when you watch it today it almost seems bizarre that you know i mean uh, as a kid it all just kind of goes right over your head all that being said, you know, there's the, the, this question of is the artificiality actually worth going for a, a, at right. all, you know? I mean, is that, is that a, a bullseye worth hitting, so to speak?
1: It reminds me um, of, of some of, of the uh, ambitions of and complaints about Ang Lee's Hulk, uh, where Ang Lee was very, you know, fascinated by the storytelling language of comics and decided to to go down this wormhole that ultimately contributed to the movie being something of a mess of, like, how do I replicate um, the, the language, the storytelling language of comic books, but you know, in my own way, through my own sensibility? And, and it led to some very experimental or just str- plain strange... So, so,
0: many, so many split screens, right? Wasn't that kind of the right. thing with his Hulk? Yeah.
1: And and that's how he rationalized a lot of those choices is um, it really reflects his sort of understanding or his admiration or what sort of intrigues him about comic book storytelling and wanted to find some way to bring it to screen. And, um, you know, I I remember in reporting about that movie how, you know, I think there were earlier versions of the movie that were far more aggressive um, in its style in that way and ultimately – there was a lot of pressure on Ang to sort of tone it down
0: but yeah, yeah. i think that i remember reading at, at at the time there was some great quote from one of the, the, the uh, studio heads where they just said like yeah we were sort of nervous about all the split screens you know like they, they just kind of like well you know we we want you director to do interesting stuff with this but you know maybe not maybe don't use this 200 million dollar movie as a uh, you know film film school aesthetic exercise <laughs> right right um, well, okay. So I think it's fair to say we're excited for Cloud Atlas. I'm excited to maybe talk a little bit about the Wachowski siblings once we get closer to that period. Look back at uh, their their great movies and their interesting failures. That wraps us up for October. Uh, I think all we can say about October is Cloud Atlas. We're very hopeful. Argo, cool backstory. Frank and Weenie, come on, Burton, you can do it. Moving right along to November now. Jeff, November second sees the release of the directorial debut of The RZA, The Man with the Iron Fists, co-starring Russell Crowe and Lucy Liu. I think at this point we've all seen the trailer for this. It looks crazy. It looks cartoonish. And it looks like the kind of movie that I am so for in theory, but that if it's not led by a... By someone who can kind of manage the craziness it could be very bad <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about it jeff
1: yeah i mean i i uh, you know i i i don't really feel a lot of i feel such low stakes you know it feels like a a, 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 a it, it could be really really cool it just could be um the vanity project of uh of, of a really cool uh guy but um I don't know, I feel nothing for this man.
0: Nothing. Okay, so we're we're sort of neutral about that. If, if nothing else, it's it's already one of the best trailers ever made. Um, also coming out that week, an, another one maybe for the Jensen children here, Jeff, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, this is the video game based movie about a video game villain from this sort of late 80s arcade game who decides he wants to be a hero and sort of sets off on a journey of adventure. When it, when it first sort of was reported, it sounded a little little bit like Toy Story with video game characters instead of action figures. It's been getting a lot of good buzz, though. I mean, at, at Comic-Con especially, it seemed like people were really being won over by it. And, you know, there's there, there's there's that one scene in the trailer that feels very much like, you know, a, again, sort of a, a love letter to geeks where you see Wreck-It Ralph in this sort of villain's um, Uh, villains retreat with you know Zangief and Bowser and all these other video game villains from the late 80s and early 90s I I sort of want to see this movie just for nostalgia value at the same time I'm always skeptical of things that seem to have been specifically created for nostalgia value but was this is this is this a Jensen children choice Jeff or is this something you're excited for
1: this is a Jeff Jensen choice. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I've been suckered into it. Um, I, I think it sounds really clever. I think it's – and what I think is really clever about it is um, how, it, how it, it feels better and bigger than just a nostalgia play for people who know the video game references, and I don't feel like I know all of them, um, but I I, I, I feel I, I see many of them and but I, I like the premise of what you kind of sketched this uh, this this uh, video game villain who is now searching for new life and new relevancy um, and uh, and 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 the, the trailers have, have made have really sold me on it and makes it look like a lot of fun um, I, I'm
0: in well and one thing that I'm sure we'll get into more once this movie rolls around Jeff is that it feels to me like what this movie might actually be tapping into is a very interesting trend right now, which goes deeper than nostalgia. I feel like in the video game world, and certainly among video game fans, I think there's this sense that we may have kind of lost something from that earlier era in the sort of more than a decade move towards greater realism and greater sort of visceral experiences. There's a great scene in the trailer, and, you know, again, this is this is my sort of pre-review of it. I don't know how much of a thing this will be in the movie. There's a great scene in the trailer where Ralph kind of gets caught in what appears to be a sort of Halo-ish game, you know? First-person shooter, elaborate science fiction setting, aliens attacking, green blood everywhere, and I I feel like in video games now, we're seeing along the margins this really interesting trend towards these games that could be called retro, but that in a lot of ways are really just building on where how games have evolved, and games like Braid and Limbo, and uh, most recently, there was a game released called Dust and, and, and Elysian Tale, and you know they sort of play around with a style of gaming that's gone very much out of form, but they find something still interesting there, and I I sort of wonder if if this movie is a success if that will kind of play into that that emerging sensibility
1: yeah that, that seems to be part in, part of a, a larger cultural trend perhaps um, but i think it's very precarious right now where i think you see in a lot of different areas of pop culture a, a desire to you know move away from the grim and gritty and the, the you know the, the the glibly cynical and the the dark dystopia of everything and kind of reclaim something a little bit more, I don't know, like innocent, but not like, uh, but not too innocent. Um, not quite earnest, but just something a little more optimistic. Absolutely. You know? I, think, I think there's something about the language of all those. I, I think that's what people, um, uh, see and, and, and feel about that kind of like era of video games that you're speaking of. It's not necessarily like, Hey, I wish all games could be like this, but there's something that in, in, in that, that just feels, Um, yeah, the the retro of it all feel seems to harken to a uh, more optimistic time, which is uh, itself a bogus notion. I'm just saying um, that 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 it speaks to an optimism that we all want to feel.
0: Absolutely. Well, and and I would also say that you know one thing that uh, I, I think was very descriptive in what you just said was this notion that to get away from this sort of cheap cynicism and this sort of you know almost obnoxious level of grit. I mean, to me, the compelling thing about a lot of these new games that are coming out. Is that I think they kind of acknowledge, you know, there was there were interesting things happening even in the sort of simplicity of, of those earlier games, and uh, you know, I, I always remember how uh, in in his book about video games, Tom Bissell sort of pointed out that you know there's something almost Kafka esque about the early Super Mario games, and it's this sort of almost mythic undertone that you kind of really can't get from games as they've gotten a little bit more, you know, simultaneously more real and more ridiculous with. You know, my villain is, you know, my hero is way more sad and, uh, you know, Punisher-esque than your villain is. Anyhow, we're wandering a little bit off track. This will all be part of our five-hour podcast about the state of video games next week. Um, I want to take this back, though, Jeff, to November 9th, Skyfall comes out. Uh, I'm a big James Bond fan. I, I'm very excited for everything that I that I've seen about this. It's, it certainly looks better than Quantum of Solace, which is sort of all that I can ask for at this point. What What are your thoughts about this this new Bond uh, new Bond episode?
1: I, I, I have, I've been a big fan of uh, of of the uh, the Craig uh, James Bond films and. Maybe not so much quantum of solace uh, you know th- th- but that but even then had that had some uh, entertainment value um, I'm really looking forward to this one
0: yeah nothing else nothing else that has to be said about that excited for it November sixteenth the Twilight Saga part four part two part ten. Uh, this is the final twilight uh, of, of, of this cycle of, of humanity, although I'm sure it'll be rebooted at some point in the near or far future. Uh, I actually saw the first three twilights and enjoyed them to varying degrees. Um, I didn't see the fourth one and I can't say I really want to see the fifth one but I can't deny Jeff that you know' I'm, I'm as sort of uh, as shallow as as everyone else in our in our shallow country and recent tabloid reports have me sort of intrigued to see this movie um... no
1: they don't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: They don't? No, yes, you are, you are correct, Jeff. You've just used your Jedi mind powers on me and I'm no longer interested in seeing <laughs> it. Uh,
1: I, mean, I, 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 I mean, I know that for fans of the franchise, the, the, re, the, the tabloid reports of what has recently happened to the two stars of the movie probably makes it even more intriguing. Um, I was never really a fan, didn't really care about that tabloid story, has no effect on, on on my desire to see this I, I'm not a Twilight hater um, if but i but but I was never impressed with the books or what I tried to read of them so um, I Yeah, it it feels really easy and cheap to be a Twilight hater, so I'm not going to be one, but I can't deny that I'm just not interested.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, one of my first jobs when I was working at, uh, or when when I I started working here, Jeff, was uh, I went to go and watch a midnight screening of New Moon, the uh, second film in this 20-film franchise. And uh, I, I remember just being so struck because... You know, just being in the room with people who loved it so much, I have never really felt passionately about it. But I, I have to admit that I I'm so intrigued by the passion that is felt for it. Maybe if only because, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm always very intrigued by very fervent fan bases, and I I don't know if in. You know, even in some ways compared to something like Harry Potter, I, I don't know if anything can compare to the sheer fervency of this fan base. My favorite part of, of watching New Moon was at, at the very start of it, there started up this huge chant from both sides of the theater where one side was yelling Team Jacob and one side was yelling Team Edward and then somebody else said Team Jasper and everyone laughed. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's an interesting societal thing to me, more so than it is a particularly interesting franchise yeah yeah. let's move on and never talk about Twilight again uh, November 21st uh, Life of Pi comes out uh, Ang Lee's adaptation of the Yan Martel sort of magical realist book trailer looks great um, yeah. I uh, I don't know the, I, I, I didn't read the book but uh, I, I'm definitely excited to see a new Ang Lee movie I feel like he, he's been sort of absent for a while now
1: yeah, I mean, and, and all signs point to a, a, a winner from him, um, and, uh, and, I, and, and that's great, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and The Ice Storm are two of my favorite films of the past couple decades, and I, I'm always kind of cheering for him to really connect with audiences, and I love how he tries, uh, he, he puts like, big filmmaking challenges in front of him and loves to work in various genres. So I'm uh, I'm there. I I, he's like one of my favorite creative forces in film. Mm -hmm. So wherever he goes, I will follow. Even if he disappoints,
0: very excited for that one. The same week, a couple of movies that I think we may be less excited about. The long-delayed remake of the '80s alarmist Soviet thriller *Red Dawn* is finally hitting theaters. I believe this was filmed roughly five years ago or so. That's a little bit of 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 hyperbole. Maybe it was four and a half. Uh, I can't say I have any interest in in seeing this movie. I, I sort of fondly remember the original although I would imagine if I watched it now I would not fondly enjoy it. Um, Jeff, any any thoughts about Red Dawn? Um,
1: I'm curious to know why it's been delayed so long. I mean, was it one of those movies that was caught up in some studio's bankruptcy, financial
0: flux. Exactly exactly right. This is one of those sort of MGM films. I I believe this and Cabin in the Woods, weirdly both starring Chris Hemsworth, were sort of caught up in a lot of the bankruptcy problems that that studio had. The other issue here that's interesting is that in the original version of this movie, the Chinese forces were invading America. Uh, In the time since it was made, it's become very clear that the Chinese box office is a very important part of a movie's um, general performance at the global box office. So they digitally changed all of the Chinese flags to North Korean flags. Um, so that's a little that's a little slice of uh, contemporary Hollywood for you, Jeff.
1: <laughs> this movie sounds uh, just. Uh the movie sounds like a hot mess, which means that it is in keeping with the original um, Red Dawn, and therefore I-, I might actually go see it.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, one thing one thing that I'll say about the original is that uh, you know I, I have a real affinity for the work of, of John Milius, the militant conservative director who also made Conan the Barbarian, co-wrote Apocalypse Now, supposedly wrote the uh, speech that Robert Shaw gives in Jaws. Um, and he was also the basis for John Goodman's character in in The Big Lebowski, and uh, Red Dawn is certainly one of his sort of crazier uh, uh, creations. Um, I, I, I wish that he were more involved in, in, in this one, but uh, this one looks like a little bit more of a straightforward action movie. Jeff, also that week uh, we have the release of Rise of the Guardians, which is uh, the Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny fight people or something like that. I, I I don't really know that much about it, but uh, I, I'm also not exactly the the, the target audience for this. Um, any any interest in this one? Nope. We're moving right along to December, everyone. Uh, and, and, and just to wrap up November, uh, we're cautiously excited about Wreck-It Ralph, excited about Skyfall, and Twilight is Twilight, and it always will be Twilight. Jeff, December 14th, <clears throat> The movie that really is probably the most important geek film in some respects of the rest of this year. The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, will hit theaters. It is the first in a three-film franchise, which may yet become a four-film franchise. Who knows? Um... I my feelings about this movie vary every single day. There's times when I'm excited to sort of return to that world. There's times when I feel a little bit um, I feel a little bit like I've maybe had my fill of Hobbit-themed movies. Um, wh- where are you at with this one right now? You know, I I was with
1: it uh, I guess until the announcement that it's three movies, and then I just kind of went. What? I mean, that first film, I mean, maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way then. Maybe it speaks to how well, how to read the tea leaves on this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like why at this date does um, Warner Brothers and everyone that's behind this this film decide to to extend the franchise by one more movie? I mean, did the first cut, did the cut of the first film come in and they all realized this is just going to be great? and we have the material and we have the goods, we have a story um, as adapted by Jackson and company to, to justify three films. Let, let's just do it. Um, or were there other factors at work? I, I don't know. But, like, I, I've read that book. I know that story. There's three movies here? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, that, And uh, so it just puts so much pressure on this first film, to, uh, to, 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 to really...
0: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we talked about this a, a little bit uh, while you were gone, Jeff, when I had uh, our, our, our local crank Keith Staskowitz guest star. And, uh, you know, th- th- there is the sort of cynical response to that third film announcement, which is, you know, is this just sort of the perfect combination of a director who just wants to keep on making this movie and pack in everything combined with a studio that really would love to have another tentpole movie and a fan base that isn't necessarily turning away more content, you know? I mean, uh, I I think certainly there's a sort of intrinsic response as a fan where some part of you always wants more, but I, I, I sort of find myself... You know, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing to make a very, very long movie or movies out of a short book. You know, a lot of people have have thrown around the statistic that I think The Hobbit is shorter than any of the individual Lord of the Rings books, and that will now create three films of of its own. I'd love it if, with more time, The Hobbit sort of gets... I don't know, it it allows Peter Jackson to maybe luxuriate in the world more, I mean, you know, to sort of really explore this wonderful fantasy environment. I, I sort of do worry that it may just be too much of a once-good thing. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we're both going to see this movie, though, certainly. <laughs> oh,
1: sure, yeah, I mean... Um, um, but I could see a scenario where, I mean, of course I'll go see it, um, And and... What I was going to say is, if the reviews come in and there is that same level of cynicism based on um, the fact that the that the first movie is underwhelming, um, I then that that could affect my desire to see it. But mm-hmm. then I'll probably want to see it to kind of like just have an opinion about. Um, this colossal mistake.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, and uh, you know whatever happens, there's two more of those movies coming out in the, in the next few years. Uh, wrapping up our f- fall movie preview here, Jeff. Uh, on Christmas Day, what better uh, film to take your family to go and see than Quentin Tarantino's ultra-violent? Uh, in invective-filled ode to spaghetti westerns, Django Unchained. Uh, I am so excited for this movie. I have been excited about the idea of Quentin Tarantino making a spaghetti western since the time that I was probably a teenager. I, I love spaghetti westerns. I love westerns. This this movie was made for me and no one else on earth is basically what I'm what I'm getting at here, Jeff. But uh, I want to hear your thoughts about it though.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, you're the only one alive that could possibly be interested in anything (laughs) Quentin Tarantino might do. Uh, No, Uh, uh, but apparently there are many, many more of you out there because I'm one of them. I mean, this definitely is on that short list of the master Argo Cloud Atlas um, of of films this this fall and into the winter that I just am am pretty amped for. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it, it just looks crazy. It looks, it looks, uh, I, I love the casting. Um, I'm looking forward to Tarantino's take on this genre. Um, you know, it's, yeah, I'm looking forward
0: to it. Yeah, it, 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 it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I, there was recently a, a big spaghetti western thing out here in New York at a theater called Film Forum. I watched a lot of them and just got so excited for it. So uh, it should, it should be interesting. Again, you know, we, we need more family-friendly movies on, on Christmas, Jeff. And I, I think it's fair to say that uh, this is not one of them. Um, <laughs> well... That, that about wraps us up. Uh, Jeff, uh, I'm I'm really excited for this lineup of movies. It, it just it feels to me like there's a lot of interesting attempts at something, which I think is really all that I ask for now. You know, I mean, we're coming off of a summer that was certainly filled to the brim with franchise pictures, some of them good, some of them not so good. I, I like the fact that, you know, between Cloud Atlas and Looper and The Master and, you know, Life of Pi, there's a lot of interesting people trying to do interesting things which is maybe all all you can ask for at this point
1: really i i totally agree and i don't want to like uh, uh diminish that with any sort of my you know i mean even the hobbit i mean uh, peter jackson great filmmaker and um and, and he sees a a great challenge that he believes that he can uh write that he can excel at by turning this into three films i mean um, I, I, I agree with your assessment completely. It, it seems like a, a very fun fall of, of of interesting filmmakers doing challenging things, and you really—I'm going to repeat everything you've just said. You can't ask for more than that.
0: Yes, i, I, I can't. You've now become my ventriloquist, ventrillo. Anyhow, listeners, thank you so much for listening to the, to this <laughs> week. Uh, always lovely to have you here in our uh, here in our study. Um, as always, I'm Darren Franich.
1: <laughs> we are a pair of fumbling fools this week, aren't we? <laughs> but we do uh, appreciate everyone who's made it this far on Jeff. Jeff,
0: <laughs> see you, everybody.